You're listening to Live from the News Dungeon, a nondoc.com podcast. Hello and welcome to Live from the News Dungeon, a nondoc.com podcast. I'm Trey Savage, editor-in-chief of nondoc.com, and we are here for our 10th episode of Live from the News Dungeon. Oh, wow, says... Andrea Denhood. Hi. How Hi, are everyone. you? I'm a little frazzled, but I'm okay. Okay. Uh, no. What are you drinking and why are you frazzled? This is a passion fruit, uh, how do you say it? LaCroix? LaCroix? We're going to have to figure it out if they're going to ever a come seltzer, on board as a sponsor. A little seltz. Um, I don't want to go too far into it, but I just bought my first house and it's like falling apart. Around oh, me, no. So. Do you need like, a, do we need I'm to put frazzled. something else into your LaCroix? That would not be bad. After this. Yeah. After this. There's bourbon over there. Okay. It's three o'clock on Wednesday, meaning it's five o'clock somewhere. Yes. Uh, Angela Jones, how are you? Hello. Good afternoon. Good. That wasn't the answer to my question. You, you sound like a politician. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I had to check in. That's good. That's yeah. excellent. Well, speaking of politicians, we're joined with a wonderful guest uh, today. We had uh, probably our, our most famous guest earlier was was maybe what Gip, Governor David Walters on episode six or seven, and then we had House Majority Floor Leader John Eccles. But today we are graced with the presence of State Superintendent of Public Instruction Joy Hoffmeister. Madam Superintendent, how are you? I'm doing great, and thank you. I am so excited to be here. Wonderful. Um, well, we're gonna. You've already gotten a tour of the news dungeon. Yes. Um, yes. You've you been took me into all the different rooms. Yeah. Uh-huh. You've, you've been the offered LaCroix. Yes. There's a green room. Uh, first peanut butter room. crackers, cheese whiz. Um, <laughs> on my way here, I said, I'm going to have to have cheese whiz for lunch. And Storm Jones of News 9 said, well, that's better than regular whiz. So there we go. <laughs> uh, okay. On, on that note... Um, we wanted to have you on today to talk about all things education, and uh, it's a popular topic with our readers and just in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, but first, Andrea said, well, what's her background? And I said, I know a little bit about it, so we thought we'd ask you kind of where you grew up and where did you go to school and how did you reach the place you are now? Yeah, wow. So I um, grew up in St. Louis. Um, that was where... Um, my family was, and they moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma for my dad to get involved in steel manufacturing business. And so at 12 years old, I moved here, um, had um, two sisters, and we went to a small uh, private Christian school that is no longer uh, in Tulsa, but it's now Metro. It's turned into a different school. But um, that was something that was very important to my mom and dad. And then I went um, off to school and um, got my degree in education and came back to Tulsa. And uh, my husband and I raised our four kids, um, four in six years. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, I understand busy and, and all, all of all of that craziness. You said um, that Angela has one child. Yeah. I, I just can't even. I have. Yeah, I've got one child. Yeah. Thinking of him time, you know, three more of him is just like, how how is it possible? It, it, and you just do it. You just right? do it. Yeah. You just, you do, just it. do it. He's a, he's a handful. If he were here, he could he could um, illustrate my joke on the board. Yes. He always makes dr- oh, we know when he's can. been in the office he is almost seven he's seven oh, next wow. month so when he comes down he thinks he's pretty big so he's got to do the dartboard he's got to get into the cheese whiz sorry boss um he eats all the popcorn and then he has to leave messages on the whiteboard 
This so, is kind of an cute. ideal space for sex. Yeah, we, we have a race then, though. So <laughs> well, very good. Well, and then I um, was a teacher, had my kids, and then um, got into business in the supplemental education industry that's used in 49 countries. And so a lot of my training then went international. And um, that really changed my perspective on just um, a, a lot of the way uh, math and reading and um, support for students happens around the world. And when you think about what we need to do in education in Oklahoma, I think we need to trust educators more. Um, government can set high standards, but then we need to get out of the way and let teachers teach. Um, I was appointed to the State Board of Education um, on just kind of a fluke. I just happened to say to somebody who um, was working, um, one of one of the people that I worked with for some, one of my students, and um, I just said, well, tell me what I can do to help if there's ever anything I can do. And the next day I got a call about, <laughs> hey, they, they're needing someone for the State Board of Education in the Tulsa area out of District 1, Congressional District 1. So that was what kind of um, gave me a view of some of the things that are happening in, in state government. And we um, then I chose to um, didn't didn't really think we were going in the right direction. And so I, I challenged um, uh, someone in my own party and uh, won election in all 77 counties. So nice. fairly sub substantially, you, you, I think, won a three way primary challenging an incumbent. So, and, yep. That was that was quite an interesting yeah. year. Um, now, what year were you appointed to the state board? I can't remember. That would have been 2011. 2011. So, were, were you Governor Fallon's first? Yes. No. Appointee. Um, nope. I was one of her uh, last. Well, no, no, no. Um, so there was something that happened different. Um, of the my predecessor um, came into office, and um, they changed the way the board. That's is. right. Run, yeah, and so what they did was, uh, it used to be six seats plus the state superintendent is the chairman of the state board of education, and those six seats were would roll off, and they had a six-year staggered term. So every year you would have a new member, and um, they were all gubernatorial appointees confirmed in the Senate. And so the law was changed in uh, my predecessor's first year, and it was the governor um, could appoint those members. Um, kind of winner-takes-all sort of uh, approach, and they served at the pleasure of the governor. So they could be removed at any time. The old, uh, people like rhyming phrases at the Capitol, the hire and fire power. There you go. As it, as it and was. so there was a big sweep out of everyone that had been appointed under different governors, and everyone was put in new. And then uh, the person from Tulsa uh, became a city councilor, um, and had to be moved off that board. And so um, I was appointed there. And so at the time, all six new board members, no one had served more than six months. Wow. It was oh, wow. pretty wild. <laughs> new new blood. Um, yeah. Now, we actually talked about this recently. Uh, if you go to nondoc.com, that's N-O-N-D as in dog, O-C as in cat.com. If you somehow found this podcast uh, <laughs> and don't know, uh, you know where you would go, Megan Prather, our education reporter, you've spoken to a couple times. Yes. Um, Love she you. just had a feature this week kind of about the, the Board of Education. Mm -hmm. And in the yeah. wake of that law change in 2011, you've seen a new, uh, another dose of fresh blood, complete, if you will. Just about complete change. Um, yes. How do you, how do you balance, um, you know, trying to, to work with people who uh, 
many of whom you have great working relationship with, other of whom uh, you, you may not have ever met before and they kind of get appointed to that board. And how do you, knowing their position, you were a new board member yeah, at one exactly. time who had a steep learning curve. How do you balance that uh, between trying to lead them to what you want to do, but also realizing they make up the plurality of the board? Certainly. And uh, the exciting thing is every member of the board always brings a unique perspective. And even if it is by their geographic location that they're representing, because there's one for every U.S. congressional seat and then one at-large member. Um, so we always have individuals that have a different um, life experience. They're either um, in education or they've had um, you know, family members that have been, um, or they were in the military. So, you know, it's all very different when we think about that composition. And I think that makes for rich board engagement. Um, I don't think that uh, uh, it's good. It's a good thing to always have unanimous votes. Um, we want to have thoughtful discussion in public because then the public can be a part of understanding the thinking behind decisions. And um, yet there are a lot of things on the agenda that are calendar driven by statute and move um, in front of the board for their consideration. And uh, this board is actually very engaged in the consent docket, which is what a lot of uh, very important things on there that a lot of past boards um, have not had as much interest in. And they get in there and really read all of the letters that districts ask for various um, regulation waivers. And I really appreciate that about them. So I do have a couple other questions and Andrea and Angela, please jump in all the time. Angela, you wanted your child's teacher to get a raise, I think. Yeah, right? that's so. why I'm here today. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> tell, tell me your name. Miss Regalato. <laughs> okay, CPS, what, Wilson? Yes. Yeah, she's at Wilson Elementary. Chrissy Regalato, just an amazing first grade Aww. teacher. So I'm just really thankful and appreciative of her. So I always that is so awesome. shout out on this podcast that she probably doesn't listen to. I'll, I'll tweet it at her. Absolutely. And <laughs> yeah. you know what? Shout out to all the teachers. Yes, because this absolutely. has been a year like no other. And our teachers have been stretched. Um, they have done, um, really, they have moved heaven and earth to connect mm -hmm. with students. And, you know, Oklahoma has been in class for the most part the whole year. Um, but those teachers that have been dealing with remote learning, kids in quarantine, uh, AB rotations, I mean, they are doing two and three schedules a day. And it mm -hmm. is, it's just, they're worn thin. And so I I thank agree. you for that shout out. Because yeah. um, if we could do something for every single one of them Absolutely. and um, spend time acknowledging every one of their names, we mm -hmm. should. Um, but we also know that um, there's a lot of new federal money that has been um, come, you know, passed through uh, into the state, $2.3 billion over the next few years. And it is absolutely appropriate to use some of that funds uh, that are there for hazard pay um, and some stipends uh, as um, some of the teachers certainly deserve that. Now, you and the board actually have a, a decision to make on how some of that money maybe gets used. A lot of there's, am I, am I, I nope. see you shaking your head. You can't see that on the podcast. <laughs> uh, now, doesn't the department, didn't the, I know a lot of the money that came in were Title I dollars, which are Right. So prescribed. all of the funds um, are to the State Department of Education. Right. Oh, so so the board, so when you, you were shaking your head at the board has right. no decision There's to make. There's a distinction. You have a decision to make. Right. Exactly. Okay, well then, and, how how and would then, how are you, is hazard pay something that 
we should be looking for in the, the next? Well, we are certainly encouraging our districts. In fact, we were on an all district call uh, just before I came over here with, that we have um, just about every other week with our districts now. Um, and um, hundreds of individuals that were participating and they were asking, can we use our federal funds to give a stipend to teachers? We're hearing about summer schools, some of our school districts that have a high concentration of poverty. So you mentioned Title I, um, which, which signifies if you're in a Title I school, you have a collection of economically disadvantaged students in that population. They're really going to have more money than those um, schools that don't have as large a concentration. And so the allocation was not even, to, to your point um, earlier. But these these areas where the need is so great, um, they are looking at even offering $9,000 for the summer for a teacher to teach over um, several, um, to, you know, four to six weeks over the summer. That's amazing. There, are we saying there might be more need because of just we had digital learning and some kids oh, yeah. are behind and oh, stuff yeah. like that? So okay. we're encouraging summer um, opportunities, and we're going to be making some announcements about that actually next week with a lot of partners that need to support that work along with our schools. Uh, but, you know, teachers are worn out and most schools don't have uh, the kind of robust summer program ordinarily uh, for all kids. And uh, one of these schools is uh, looking at really making that a significant increase just for the summer. And okay. we think that's, that's a great model. Do you have a sense at this point of like how many more students are going to be in summer school this summer compared to usual? Many, many more. Yeah. So there's also going to be an increase in the summer feeding program, which is something that Oklahoma has um, been woefully participating in. We need to really have an increase in summer food. Um, our school districts in the past have been cut in education, and um, many of the things that got cut were summer opportunities. So there's some students by statute need to be in summer school. It's, re it's related to um, the Reading Sufficiency Act and where they are in third grade reading, et cetera. But um, we really wanted to open that up, and we know our districts are trying to do that for this next year. I th you mentioned that. I think I just saw on Twitter earlier that uh, maybe it was yesterday, the USDA announced it'll extend the Universal Free Lunch yes. program through through the, the next entire next year. School year right. So here's the deal. During the summer, there are fewer regulations. So you don't have to fill out paperwork or qualify through some other means. It's open to anyone for free. You show up, you get your meal, and that is counted and then reimbursed. And that is going to be the case um, not just in the summer months, but all through the school year. Okay, excellent. So I, I did have one other little question. You were talking about great teachers. We already have praised Ms. Regalado. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have a couple teachers in my background that were really influential for me, but we wanted to ask you, who was your favorite most influential teacher that you remember from, from they, your that is a great question. common school? <clears throat> it really is. So the first one that immediately comes to mind is Miss Keck. And she was my second grade teacher. And I really struggled with reading. And I remember that after recess in second grade, um, we would all come in, put our heads on our desk, and Miss um, Keck would read a chapter book to us. And so she would read a chapter a day. And I have a real distinct memory of Charlotte's Web. And um, I, I love to hear her voice. And I loved what she did for me, which was uh, I certainly couldn't read that book in second grade. And she opened up uh, the world of books to me. 
um, every day after recess. And then um, high school was Debbie Applegate. And in 10th grade, she helped me realize my love for writing. And um, from some of her work, I was able to um, do some other work later in college, and I was the editor in chief of the newspaper. So oh, that's awesome. kind of fun. Oh, a couple editor in chiefs <laughs> over here. All right, editor in chief off. That's pretty good. Well, um, I want to ask another question before we move yeah. on. Yeah, great. Biography yeah, yeah, section. Yeah. You mentioned that you were a teacher first yeah. in your career, mm-hmm. right? How first did grade. You decide to yeah, you taught first grade. How did you decide to go into education? You know, that is a, a really great question because. What happened to me is what we would love to see more and more kids um, aspire to. Um, I would play school when I would come home from school. And really, I idolized my teachers, and I wanted to be just like them. And I would actually – now, this was before FERPA, okay? But I would take the uh, the graded papers out of the trash can <laughs> and steal them and take them home in my little backpack for my, you know, they were props for playing school of when course. I got home. So to all of those people in my class, I, I probably Do you have them violated some somewhere? privacy rules there. Um, but yeah, no, I still don't have those. But what we also know is that um, so many of our kids who have a parent that's a teacher, um, there was a, a time, and I think it's it's actually still the case, sadly, that when they say to their parents, I want to be a teacher, they their own parents discourage them from becoming one. And, you know, teaching is the most noble of professions, and it makes every other profession possible. Uh, it's, it is truly the kind of profession that um, when you are a part of that, and you're able to be free to focus on education, uh, it fuels you. It fills you up. And um, not a, not every profession does that. Um, what we have to do to reclaim what I was able to experience and what we want for more of our, our kids in Oklahoma is that the profession returns to a time where teachers have the support outside the classroom so that they can focus on learning. And that would mean counselors, school nurses, um, reading specialists, those kinds of social safety net supports that our children need, their families need. And right now, too too often, teachers are shouldering all of it. So that kind of brings us to our big question. Uh, You may have read an article I don't know, Phil, yeah. Phil Bacharach over there on the couch. Uh, you may have read the article and, and briefed her. I don't know. I, oh, is this an article that came out this week uh, in Nanda? No, like a no, week okay. ago. About, <laughs> about, about where the House and the Senate are in terms of education Oh, funding. okay. Yes, yes. And sure. uh, I, I'll sum it up as best I can. It was probably like a 2,000-word article, unfortunately. Sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> that's why I bought you a coffee travel mug this week, actually, <laughs> and, Andrea. Yeah, you have to edit it, so you need more coffee. I, for those who were listening last episode, uh, she said she didn't have a travel mug. I haven't used it yet, Trace. I'm sorry. That's fine. Have you washed it? <laughs> no. You should wash it. It came, it came from Walmart, and I found a I one, will wash it. I found one on the clearance rack, and I was like, well, I better get this for you. And then I looked at the price tag of it, and it was like exorbitantly expensive They're on the expensive. clearance rack. They're so I got a, a, a less expensive You chose one, a so. different one. Right. <laughs> a cheaper one. It was like a dollar cheaper. <laughs> this is not the big question. The big question is, uh, 
the House has one goal in mind for education funding this year, and the Senate has another goal. And so I'm going to kind of ask you what you think you would prefer to see. Um, oh, I'll you sum are it up. crazy. I, yeah, well, that's what we're <laughs> I here to do. I say that all the time. Um, <laughs> right. Nice, nice setup there. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, the good news, I think, is that uh, it, the common education budget uh, is going to get a fairly significant increase this year. Now, there was, a, I think, a 2.26% increase la decrease last year during before we knew uh, you know, how revenues were going to look. Um, education got a lower decrease yeah. than most of the, sure. the other agencies. Um, so I think that increase is going to be, that decrease is going to be made up. I don't know my increase from my decrease. I need to go back to fifth grade. Uh, <laughs> but in addition to that, the House of Representatives would like to add an additional, I believe, $135 million, which would then trigger what is known colloquially as the 1017 cap. Back in 1990, the Democratic legislature and Republican Governor Henry Bellman uh, agreed to a historic set of reforms that involved a bunch of different things, and one of them involved class sizes. And over the years, the iterations of state statute has been changed. The year of the walkout, the, which was the same year that the big teacher pay raise happened and the big increase in the education budget happened, I think they changed the language to say if the budget ever gets to be $100 million more than this yeah. year, uh, then then it will trigger a class size cap that's still in statute from the 1017 reforms of 1990. That class size cap is fairly complicated. It's like 25 students for certain levels, but then if you have special ed involved. So let's not right, even get into right, what that right. is. The House wants to provide enough money to trigger that cap. However, the Senate, at least the Senate Appropriations Chairman, uh, who represents a rural district in eastern Oklahoma, uh, Senator Thompson is more concerned that with the other reform that was just passed, which go, gets us away from the three-year per pupil look back to the only a two-year, either the current year of your, your enrollment as a school or the district or the year before, currently you can go back two years, that reform, he's concerned, is going to mean schools are going to lose some funding just off the bat because they've lost students. And he's worried that rural schools, if we give them 135 million more and it triggers that class size mandate, even though that's funded, he's concerned that it's a kind of a double whammy and has, has some, some problems. So that's a long setup. Mm -hmm. Gave you a lot of time to think of your answer. What would you like to see? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, I am grateful that we have legislators that are talking about increasing funding for public education at a time when we know there is federal funds that have come and are still yet coming. So the um, federal relief funds have come in three different tranches, and that third has yet to be distributed, right. um, and it is the largest of all. Um, so I, I applaud and, and am grateful for this conversation um, that, and, and one that they are having. It's a good um, problem to have. It's a good to problem. Between these it, two and, scenarios. and you know what? It's a opportunity right now to really think about, uh, in fact, I would say it's an opportunity of, um, of our generation and, and that will impact generations to come of what we can do to refashion how we teach and how children learn. Um, as well as close those learning gaps that that we know presented themselves due to the, 
the pandemic. Um, what you've described, though, is is a um, colliding of two possible things at once with uh, the variables that are unknown. And I think that that does make some people nervous. And um, we do have a little bit of a safeguard in there that a report is due next year on the class size um, of all the schools right now. Already in state law? Yes. And so we will have an opportunity to know what those what kind of what the landscape will look like uh, just before next session starts. So that does make me feel a little more comfortable knowing that there is that kind of safety valve, if you will, that if the legislature needs to come in and say, okay, we're going to push this off, you know, the the trigger date a little bit, they could. But the other issue is we don't have teachers in all of our schools like we need to. And some of the idea around class size um, is not that people choose to have larger class sizes. It's that we don't have the teachers to have fewer in a class. And so this all is interconnected. And um, how we spend these federal relief dollars needs to include an eye on that problem of, of the teacher shortage. We have 18 shortage areas recognized for Oklahoma by the U.S. Department of Education. That triggers colleges of education being able to have certain grants um, to help support those shortage areas with students who go to college for um, a college of education degree. So it there's a lot of moving parts and, of course, a lot of unknowns. But I think that, you know, the, the legislature will get together and they will find the right answer and we will be a part of running scenarios and helping them have the most current information. But the bottom line is, you know, there, there are serious valid concerns, I think, on, um, on those who are voicing a concern. At the same time, um, I, I definitely know that there's no one out there that is against smaller class sizes. We all want that. And so it's just a matter of can we make that happen? So if a lawmaker is listening, you believe there are concerns with triggering that class size cap. Uh, but it's not the end of the world if we do. Um, yes. So I would say to we're going to have an idea next fall when the class size report goes to the legislature and the, the teacher count. And so we will have an idea of um, how serious those concerns are. And um, there could be an opportunity to, to address that. But of would, course, you, would you like to see them implement it now and try to address that later? I mean, because this them. could be a one, one once in a life. I mean, we know how it is at the state capitol, right? Yeah. If, there, if there's money today, it's yeah. hard to say, well, no, I'll, I'll come back and take it next no, year. No, 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 no. We, right? we want that. The question would be, um, how is that going to be calculated? Is it all in the funding formula uh, or not? And I think there's still some discussion about how that's going to be calculated. So we'll let them figure that part out. Um, but I definitely am very, very eager to see more funds in education. And I do. want to see the triggers of House Bill 1017 eventually um, become a reality. The law that passed that reduces the window for strategic planning and education got shortened in House Bill 2078. And so, you know, that's a factor. Okay, excellent. Um, Okay, I think that takes us to 
what I'd like to think is a great historical nugget. You were studying Ooh, all I think afternoon. It's a really strong historical nugget. Okay. Right? Like it's education day. Okay, so oh, our historical March. nugget is where we read a fun. Oh, we cool. go back in time, doodly doodly doodly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just look at some history. So I was looking at the history of your job. Oh yeah. As state superintendent of education. I am. I am the fourteenth. Yes, you're the second Republican. Yeah, I'm and the first to ever win re-election. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. First Republican didn't, to ever didn't win. First that. Republican. Right. You stopped the other one from doing that. I did. No. There you go. <laughs> just, says it just, yes, mark, just put a tally on the board. Um, but what I found out is that this position actually existed before statehood as the superintendent of the Territorial Department of Public Instruction. Um, and there were some problems with some of those superintendents. One got kicked out because he was also a minister and he was accused of spending the first too much one. time on his church. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they were like, you need to refocus. Someone else um, got kicked out because he apparently was had some unfair textbook purchasing practices, mm. which I could not find any more details wow. on, unfortunately. The old textbook scandal. I, the textbook <laughs> scandal. I know, like, some, I te- I know some textbook salesmen. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, but then I went and I looked up the first superintendent's report after statehood um, in 1908 and thought I would just share some highlights. Yeah. From there yeah because no. a lot of the issues are quite similar to what we're doing oh, no. today. Um, this, is all, <laughs> this is 1908. This is 1908. 1908. Okay. First time we have an actual state yes. superintendent of education. Um, his name was E.D. Cameron or Ed Cameron. I'm not quite sure, to be honest. <laughs> um, anyway, so one thing that they were dealing with was counting students. And this whole report opens up with him basically saying, like, I can't provide this report because we haven't gotten from the numbers from the county because a bunch of the schools just won't send their numbers in. Oh, my gosh. So, <laughs> like, so no, it's exactly hilarious. so. It says, he says, in view of the fact that in some cases, school officers have persistently refused to render a correct enumeration of the children of school age in their respective districts and to furnish other important um, information demanded by the county superintendents, I would respectfully recommend that the next legislature pres- prescribe minimum and maximum penalties to be inflicted upon all school officers who wantonly refuse to perform the duties devolved upon them. So. Wantonly refuse. Wow. Yes. There's a lot of wanton refusal. <laughs> I am totally going to wantonly yeah. refuse from that, now on. I think the Green Corn Rebellion was, was just hashtag wanton refusal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so a big part of this first report just didn't happen because they couldn't get the schools to report. Um, in that first year of statehood, there were 2,200 schools established in the state, which is kind of crazy. That's um, busy. Yeah. So we have 1,800 today. Really? Wow. Wow. 1,800 schools. So I think, I'm not totally sure, but I think before these 2,200 schools, there were 3,000 already. So they ended up with just thousands and thousands. Well, and if, that could be, we might need yeah. a fact check. We talked yeah. about a historical <laughs> nugget previously about how you only had to have, what, like 60 days In a tent. Like three months of a school year. Right. In a tent. Yeah. And then you could go graduate sixth grade and then become a teacher. Yeah. Because because oh, yeah. the agricultural oh, yeah. nature of the state, that's right. you you oh, didn't that's, you didn't have kids, wow. you know, uh, during during planting and harvesting season, you didn't they couldn't be in the classroom. They need to be in the field. Yeah, I mean, put them where they're useful. <laughs> get Lincoln, get Lincoln some sunblock and get him out to my yeah, barn. Oh, even needed. Yeah, he should just go straight to the field. No spelling <laughs> test there, Lincoln. Um, so another thing they were dealing with. Uh, school facilities, which is an issue today, Mm -hmm. Um, and also with, you were just talking about teacher shortages, Um, and another sentence that I liked was that the old dilapidated box house is rapidly disappearing, and a handsome frame or brick buildings are taking their place. The demand for teachers has far exceeded supplies, 
supply in spite of the large number of teachers that have come to Oklahoma from other states. Do you want to guess the number of teachers they were short mm. in 1908? The number of the teachers, number of they, teachers were they were short. So they needed 10,000. Oh, my Do you want to guess gosh. how many they had? Uh, uh, okay, they had 2,000 schools, did you say? There were 2,000 new schools. I'm, I'm, oh, not, new schools. I'm not totally sure how many schools well, there were. Well, they didn't okay, have so the numbers the, <laughs> <laughs> Who even knows? Well, so I knew that there were 5,000 school districts at one time. It wasn't right at the beginning, though. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to guess... They needed 10,000. Mm-hmm. How many did they have? I'm going to say, um, oh gosh, I don't know. I'm thinking one per schoolhouse. Got a guess. And so it's, and they're <laughs> short. Put you uh, in the classroom and you'd be like, right, 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 right. Okay, so I don't know. My God is telling me, I'm going to say 3,000. What does she win if she got, gets it? They no. were short. 109 teachers. Oh, they oh, had wow. 9,891. They, they had 9,000 teachers. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty good. Almost 10,000. You'd take okay. that problem now, right? That's a small I would take number. it. <laughs> and this is partly because teachers were paid very well here at that point. Um, it says the salaries of male teachers uh, range from $75 to $200, which is $25,000 to $70,000 in today's money. Wow. Sorry, that's 75 to 200 monthly back then, which is 25000 to seventy k. A year. In today's dollars, yearly now. Wow. Yes. Okay. Well, female teachers received between fifty and ninety dollars a month. Seems <laughs> like a problem. <laughs> which is seventeen thousand to thirty. I would like to apologize on behalf of the patriarchy. Yeah. yeah, I wantonly refuse that. What? A- but it says. With our splendid school fund, which is rapidly increasing, we will soon be able to offer teachers better salaries in Oklahoma than can be paid in any other state in the union. Oh. Which has not panned out in the long term. That's some big big talk. (laughs) Wow. That's pretty good. So uh, immediate thoughts about that historical nugget? I mean- Oh, that's great. You you, you looked over at Phil uh, as soon as you said there were issues with uh, getting districts to report accurate data. Does that ever happen now? I'm, I'm telling you. No, so no mention of the wave, which is something that is an inside joke for all of those who have to report on our. Oh, that's um, the data system. That's our that data you, system. Yeah, um, date for for reporting every 24 hours. Actually, we have a pretty good reporting system that a lot of states don't have. Ours ours is in real time, updates every 24 hours. But that is fascinating, and the fact that the teacher shortage is uh, nothing new. But what has really changed is what we were. While we were paying our teachers. Wow. Yeah. We need to, we've got to stay on top of it. I mean, we really, if we do not, other states will. I remember looking at, there was a time in my life, I went to school for journalism at mm-hmm. OU. That's where we met. That's where we met too, although I was just mostly sticking stickers on the urinals yes. at the bar you were <laughs> Yeah. Um, yes. She's maybe it's, going to apologize. That's where we got the ideas for stickers, actually. So uh, some uh, things never change. It's triggering. Um, okay. So, Governor Walters, if you if you see a sticker on the urinal in this building, I, it's not me. And um, I'm not scraping it off. That is true. Okay. So I said all that. Uh, why did I say all that? You went to school for journalism. Oh, right. There was a when time in learned. my life when I thought that I might want to teach. And so I You was, still can. I still well, Get I him. I don't think you, you know? guys want to be in charge of this website. No, yeah. no, no. Okay. Why not? Uh, why not? Yeah, sure. 
buy a house, they said. Yeah. Um, What's the worst thing? You can substitute teach and call that research. Well, so I did substitute ah. teach. Uh, back when I worked for eCapital, I would get every other Friday off, and I didn't make very good money as a journalist uh, there. <laughs> and so I thought, well, maybe I want to go into teaching. And so I would, when I had that Friday off, I would go teach, substitute teach at, at OKCPS. And then later, the same, like the year before I wound up starting non-doc, I quit my cubicle job because I didn't want, I was single and didn't have kids and didn't want to die in a cubicle. And so <laughs> I thought if there's ever time to quit my job and go do something else. So I went to coach high school baseball at Harding Charter Prep, and which paid like $4. And then, uh, <laughs> and, and, but I was still substitute different places there, other schools and everything like that. And it is just, an, I mean, it is a, it's a lifestyle. It's an enormous amount of work. It changes your, uh, existence, your, 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 uh, I guess, life cycle, your sleep cycle, all, all of those sorts of things. And so, um, I just have a lot of, you know, amusing stories from the, I don't know, 30 to 40 times I ever substitute taught. And, uh, none of them made, none of them would make anybody be like, yes, I want to go do that. Uh, unless the pay were a lot better. And back at the time that I was doing all that, the pay was, you know, lagging behind. Now I think we're second in the region after the 2018 raise, yeah, something like that. We may even be further down Is it um, at this becoming point. Becoming in vogue to fund teachers around the country? Is yeah. Right? And, oh, you good. know, I mean, so when you see other states that are um, passing you know, pay raises in their own, let, let's say, Denver public schools. Right. That's going to have a huge impact on the Colorado state average. So that, that's what we're seeing. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, well, I think that brings us to our bigger question. Uh, you know, there's always a lot of discussions about state policy and how do we, we lead that. And, uh, you know, Governor Stitt said this year that, that he, he viewed this as an opportunity to do some things for education. And that's always a good political word for when you're going to make some changes, we're going to view it as an opportunity. We've got a problem. It's an opportunity, right? Um, so I think a lot of people want to know, are, are you considering a, a run for governor in 2022? Oh my, no. <laughs> you're not? You're not? <laughs> no, no. Have you been, I have, have you my, received? I have my um, hands very full in, in, in all, all seriousness, the largest and greatest challenge in education in American history. And we're living through that in Oklahoma. And we've got a lot of things that we've got to keep our focus on right now. Um, and, you know, that's, that is, uh, that's where my focus is. How many people have called you to ask you to run for governor? You know, I, I think there's always some joking and kidding and things that go, go on on social media. Bottom line is, uh, we need to think about um, keeping our focus on our kids and our teachers, and uh, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, everyone has their job to do. And we know that having strong education uh, starts with strong families. And so when I think about how do we help education, we have to think about healthy families, having access to health care, um, strong communities, that uh, social safety net is really important when we think about those who are disadvantaged in um, some, some of the parts of Oklahoma that have had lingering challenges. So all of it matters um, to me when I think about what it will take to really improve things for our kids. And uh, the 
the work we do makes a difference, not just in the lives of kids um, or teachers or, or those who serve in schools, but the success of communities and the economic opportunities of our state. So for me, all of that. Uh, that that sounds around. a little bit like somebody who might make a decent gubernatorial candidate. I just that's why I think we had to ask. So we, we'll if you announce in in nine months, we'll play this clip back, uh, <laughs> and I'll be like, "See, I knew it." Um, uh, I do want to ask you one more thing before we get to our favorite segment. Uh, I, I want to ask you just a little bit about um, charter schools, sure. which, uh, which are public schools, yes. uh, and there are is it sort of a cornucopia of regulations and regulating bodies. Um, and Megan, our wonderful education reporter, who's who would be here, but she's getting her second COVID vaccine, I think. Did I just violate HIPAA? Probably. I anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, um, never mind. There's nobody here by that Where's name. the HR jar? <laughs> You're not a doctor. Um, I don't think it applies. So, uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, so she's, you know, cover, she covered just yesterday the statewide virtual charter school board. We've got everything going on with Epic. I'm not going to ask you about Epic specifically because there's so many pending legal issues um, but generally speaking, uh, Epic has seen a spike in enrollment. Other virtual charter schools have seen spikes in enrollment. And then certainly uh, a, a lot of com communities, from urban communities even to smaller municipalities like Seminole, uh, you know, have decided to pursue charter schools uh, as, as a way to provide, you know, alternatives to the traditional public schools uh, for, for their, their families. And I wanted to kind of ask you just on a macro level what your philosophy and belief is about the future, the current situation involving charter schools in Oklahoma and also the future, because uh, the phenomenon is not going away. Um, but then people also are, are concerned that if, if charters rise to the point of, uh, you know, maybe not as like Louisiana, which went to almost essentially a, a mm -hmm. full charter system, right. but... People worry about what happens to the to the traditional public school districts that are are left without the kids who might might be drawn or able to get into a charter school. So overall, tell us your philosophy on that. And what do we need to know about charter schools, how they should be funded, all yeah. those sorts of things? Yeah. So, you know, thank you for mentioning the fact that, yes, charter schools are public schools um, and there are different sponsors and they have different ways of of providing instruction, virtual um, and there are those that are sponsored by um, local school districts that added uh, charters to their, their portfolio of options for their families. And then there are those that have been sponsored by a university and, um, or a college. And th there is then another category, which are those, I think there are four, that are sponsored by the State Board of Education because they were... Um, denied a uh, application with the district. And uh, so we, we have all kinds of different charters. So to answer how should they be funded kind of depends. Um, and it depends on what is in statute and um, what our constitution allows. Um, and of course, that is the center of some conversations um, that have been going around actions of the state board and actions of uh, the legislature as they are trying to uh, really center on students and making sure that our students all have um, access to high quality education, no matter where they are. So, uh, you know, I did um, grow up in private religious schools and um, all four of my kids went to uh, public school from their first day till they graduated. 
And um, so I've experienced both sides of this, um, as well as um, have many, many people that I know that have been a part of charter school education. The bottom line is uh, we need a strong public education system that supports learning in whatever capacity parents choose. But we need to keep our focus on making sure that that neighbor school, neighborhood school around the corner in, in your community is a top choice. And so that will always be my focus, that in this role, particularly as state superintendent of public instruction, it should be on removing any barriers that, that impede that process. So if that is regulation, or if that's lack of funding, or um, whatever is uh, standing in the way of schools being able to have safe environments, um, environments that include high quality resources with textbooks or technology, um, all of it matters in the big picture. And yeah, I do think that um, there have been uh, um, some of our charter schools that have had crumbling infrastructure and they got started um, with, with uh, district sponsorship um, or they got started through another means and, um, and have kind of felt like they didn't have the kinds of resources apart from fundraising to be able to meet those needs of their kids. Um, so I think there is an equity issue when we think about that. And I think that that is probably going to be solved um, through the legislature where we pushed for, for that with some language last year. And then the pandemic happened. Um, yeah. Well. So to, to get more specific a little bit about that, you, you mentioned the legislature, you mentioned textbooks. Again, if you go back and read that, that article, dear listener, uh, I believe Senator Thompson said that they're looking at another $27 million dollars or maybe $23 million for textbooks in addition wow. to the typical wow. 37 so that we get to $60 million. Yeah. Uh, as of two weeks ago, that was an agreement. We'll see. Um, but let's also talk about Senate Bill 229, which is uh, Vice Chairman Hilbert's uh, language sure. that tries to address this situation. And if I can think back and, and sort of uh, probably bastardize his explanation of it, uh, he said essentially the, the 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 charter resolution that the board passed that you voted against uh, it, it sort of has brought to the forefront this question of of local funding for for charter schools. Um, that has that has brought that to the forefront, and he said that it sort of had two questions with it. One is it legal, uh, and two should we? And uh, he said his goal in Senate Bill two twenty nine is to to solve one of those questions and say. Um, no, it's not legal, but it sets up a framework using, I believe, medical marijuana tax revenues to sort of backfill the, oh my gosh, what do they call it? The, the, court, the core mil, quarter mill? The, yeah, the four mill. The, four the mil, county four mill. The county four mill, which no one knows what that means. Mm -hmm. Angela, do you, is, is so that it's on? So it's a local, no. local tax base. Okay. Big ad valorem property yes. tax dollars. Yes. And then the other one is the Building fund, fund building and, equalization, and building equalization fund comes from also property tax. It actually, no, no. There was a state state appropriated um, amount that I think was only about five million in the past. I that Does one I right? need to double check on. We'll, and we'll get fix you. it in the article <laughs> if we. Yeah, no. This this is not complicated at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so that's his proposal in Senate mm -hmm. Bill two twenty nine. I think it can be heard as of. Ah, 43 minutes ago, I think it became eligible for hearing in the House, the full House. 
no idea what's going to happen when he goes over to the full Senate. Your thoughts on it. Is that yeah. a, a good so idea? He sat down with us and I was pleased, um, presented the concept. We, um, we actually had a, a bill last year that has a lot of this language in it now. Lo and behold. Yeah. And um, this was something that uh, we felt would actually address the um, some of the issues in the particular lawsuit that had been filed, but through a legislative path. And then we also um, appreciate what, um, what Representative Hilbert and Representative Baker did is to think about um, those um, schools, and we're talking about 300 of them, 300 school districts that have a, a below average uh, amount of local funds for building and construction and maintenance of their facilities. And so this would actually put about $40 million into this fund that would um, give a kind of an equalization, if you will, to bring everyone at least to the mean. And um, that would be a real uh, win. Not just charters. Not just for charters, but all, all of okay. our school districts that were below the mean and um, bring them to that average point um, for every single year through a dedicated uh, funding stream. You mentioned 300 districts. That's more than half of the districts mm -hmm. in the state, which it's sort of bizarre that we have more than 500 school districts, but that's another comp that's another podcast for us. Um, what? Give me a general profile of those 300 districts. Are we talking urban so districts, about, rural districts, yeah. on formula, uh, I'm assuming? Uh, they will be your school districts like, let's say, Stillwell. Um, very low... One of the poorest districts Poor in the district, state. Yeah. Um, very uh, unable to bond. Um, they have very low avalorum. And so when you look at that per child, um, what they then get in the building fund normally would be about $1,000 a year. It's just not much from their avalorum base. So this would bring them to the average right. per student if you would break it down that way. Okay, well, dear listener, you heard, buy more marijuana. That'll help the local school districts. Uh, on that note, that's the joke. We had a podcast about marijuana. Um, Angela, it's hey. your turn. Hi. Okay, it's time for our favorite segment, Pod Nods. Was that good? It was great. Okay, great. Really good. Um, solid. <laughs> oh, okay. We've got a tough crowd over here. Tough crowd. <laughs> so this is the time that we want to say thank you to our donors. Um Reader-funded journalism is here for the readers and listeners, and then it, it is also funded by the readers and the listeners. So thank you, guys. Thank you so much for um, donating your ears, donating your dollars, donating your eyeballs. Thank you for being a part of our mission. So I want to say thank you to Adria Berry, John Paul McCain, Jeff Hargrave, Jeff Hargrave. Jeffrey Hargrave. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I don't the know Duke, why I The Duke of El Stongo. I, he, I, I hear stories about him, so I sort of like secondhand know him, and then I just Excellent. choked He's when digging I for dinosaurs <laughs> right now and probably making He's bad not decisions. Listening. It seems appropriate. He's totally in his garage listening to this. Uh, okay, Matt Graves and Dale and Rosie Jacobs. Thank you so much. And even $5 helps us. So uh, nondoc.com, there's several different donate buttons to click on if you're interested in supporting your community. I also want to say thank you to some of our sponsors. They are also a huge part of uh, getting our mission out there. So I have three sponsors I want to thank. The first one is CSS Partners, which is a full-service government affairs and political strategy firm based in Oklahoma City. Also, Home Creations, which is an Oklahoma-based builder, home builder, 
who partners with lenders to help thousands of homeowners throughout the financing uh, through the financing process. Thank you so much, Home Creations and OHA, Oklahoma Hospital Association. They are the voice of hospitals in Oklahoma. They're established in 1919, and they represent more than 135 hospitals and health systems across the state. So thank you so much for being a sponsor. And if you're interested in sponsoring uh, uh, community journalism, that's awesome. Reach out to me at Angela at nondoc.com, and we can talk. Thanks so much. Yeah, let me throw in a special thank you to the Farzana brothers, Jalal and Muhammad. I don't know if you've ever gotten a chance to meet them. They run Home Creations. Terrific gentlemen. Uh, they've, they've been supporters of us back when we didn't have a dungeon to do news in and when we were just scraping by, and they stick with us today. So thank you guys so much. Um, I need to make one of your fun Friday uh, discussions when, the, when you guys are doing that again. Um, I think that's it. Is that all we have? No, I have one more question. Oh, listen, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about. Okay. Uh, my fi- Now, I, I had two question ideas. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I, Let's and, and are we, are we going to pick out of the fishbowl? I don't know. Some, well, maybe I'll just save another right. We'll see how this goes. We can always pause and go. Okay, so we always end our podcast with a fun question that has nothing to do with anything serious or the government or anything like that. Uh, if you had to spend one year on tour as a backup singer for a band or a musical star, either active or historical, who might you pick? And I see no one at all... <laughs> looking prepared? Looking prepared for this. <laughs> Why don't you go first, <laughs> I'm not really prepared either. I was it's thinking... Hard. I'm a big fan. So last year, about a year ago this time, I was supposed to be in Tulsa at the... I think it was... I don't know, was it Canes or BOK? I had tickets to see Sturgill Simpson and Tyler Childers, two of the best newish, you know, uh, uh, country, but classic country uh, folks. Tyler Childers is amazing. Um, obviously didn't happen because of the pandemic. And so I think I would pick Sturgill Simpson. I'd seen him before because if I was a backup singer for Sturgill Simpson, no one would expect to be able to hear what I was saying, right? Because you can, his, he, he has sort of a, a mouthful of marble singing style that if you hear, if you know the lyrics, then you're like, that's crystal clear. But otherwise, so I could just in the background kind of, love ain't fair in the world is mean, you know. Um, I mean, and that's where I get the line, by the way, one of his greatest songs. Everybody, you know, you said you wanted to take over the website from me. So if, if you, um, you know, uh, I just don't know if you know that they call me King Turd up here on Shit Mountain. If, you, <laughs> oh, if you'd like it, you can have the crown. So um, that's a that's a. I was just testing out assertiveness. I'm already backing off of it. Yeah. So um, uh, okay. So I gave everybody a chance to think uh, uh-huh. a backup singer or what band or group you would be a backup singer for. Uh-huh. Who would have the best like outfits? Yeah, you know? so I might go Avid Brothers. That is a favorite band of mine, and I feel like our values kind of align. I feel like their their lyrics make me feel like we're living a similar life experience. So I might go Avid Brothers because I could always do like a jaunty little cowgirl hat and wear these boots that I have on today. Okay, and just like a little step back and forth. Yeah, okay. yeah, just like a shuffle and a. Tambourine? Yeah, I probably just have to do a tambourine. I don't even think they have backup singers. Yeah. Okay. We had like a, a preliminary short version of this yeah. the other day, and my immediate answer was Rihanna. And I immediately said, I'm going with you. That's but such a great answer. I just think she's, she's so an cool. amazingly she's cool human so being. She's so cool. She's a but woman then I've women. been thinking about it, and I just don't think I'm cool enough to hang. <laughs> <laughs> you would awkwardly be in the back. Like, <laughs> <"Hi guys." laughs> I don't really smoke pot. But you <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so I don't know. Dolly Parton feels like a very like obvious oh, answer. Oh, right that's now, pretty but, good. But she'd be fun, I think. Yeah, I'd like you could hang out choice. with. Ooh, that's a really good one. Yeah, super it's mine. You can't have it. Super intimate. <laughs> you got. You got a thing. Okay, so immediately Lady Gaga. Ooh. Yeah. Didn't yeah. I call that? Yeah. It's, that's the right choice. That's the right choice. You know, she she is a wonderful mental health advocate too, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so I just one thing we didn't even talk about is. Project Aware, which your yes. uh, district has yes. done. Yes. And just to take off my journalism hat for, for a moment, we had Megan do a story about it. And the yeah. very bottom, there's an editor's note. Another thing that I've been blessed in life to be able to do is be a nationally certified mental health first aid instructor. And they oh, have wow. the adult version of that class, which is for, mm-hmm. I would I would teach all of us how to prevent suicide. Uh, it's sort of like CPR for mental health issues. And they also have the the, uh, the the youth version. Does anybody know the only proven way to prevent suicide, by the way? It's to ask the question. Oh, yes. Are you Are you thinking of suicide? Yeah. yeah. Are you having thoughts of, yeah. of death and suicide? And the reason being, you, you, wouldn't, you would normally think, well, I don't want to put the thought in somebody's head, but all the studies show that people have those thoughts and they're too embarrassed to, to bring it up, right? Um, no one's ever going to say, hey, Angela, do you have plans for lunch today? I've been thinking about killing myself and I wanted to talk to somebody about it, right? So the, the idea, the training teaches that if you see people with signs and symptoms of of a mental health issue, you know, suicidality is the most serious symptom of a mental health issue. Uh, the, the training kind of teaches you how do you look at that, and it gives you an action plan. I'll read over it real quick. Assess for risk of suicide or harm. Listen non-judgmentally. Give reassurance and information. Encourage appropriate professional help and encourage self-help and other support strategies. And so I always say L and E to L and G to get to the E's. Right? Listen without judgment. Give reassurance. So if somebody ever said they answer yes. I'm having thoughts of suicide. One basic fact you can hit them with just calmly is, well, that's okay. Just because someone has thoughts of suicide doesn't mean you have to act on them, you know, or mm-hmm. that's common, you mm-hmm. know, it's, 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 it's okay. Or that's typically a reflection of a mental health challenge. So I say all of that is that I get to wear that hat and I get to do that sometimes. Haven't a lot in the last year. Um, but I've actually taught that class for Project Aware wow. in Western Oklahoma and uh, was really excited to see earlier, or I guess it was last year, what, what, what is time, that, yeah. that got expanded to three districts in eastern Oklahoma, and I think that's really a terrific program. So uh, any school people out there listening and thinking, boy, should we try to do this, or should we work with the Department of Mental Health to, to come out and do that, uh, it's a great training. And, and the great thing about Project AWARE is it not only involves training teachers and school staff uh, in this mental health first aid training, but then it provides counselors, LPCs, licensed professional counselors on staff for the district. So a lot of times, well, I've taught at many school districts around the state, and I say, okay, and they say, well, we call the counselor. And I say, well, respectfully, when we say counselor, who are we talking about? And most districts are talking about somebody who is sort of, you know, maybe a part-time librarian, and they kind of navigate the academic world, and they're excellent people who care for the kids and all that, but it's different than having licensed professional counselors on staff. So That's really a huge step. I know there's some yeah. some legislation moving forward on stuff like that, but I just wanted to throw that. I out I am so glad to know that, and I didn't know that about you. And that's that is just really powerful. And we just as an update, we do have Project Aware West. Now we were granted Project Aware East, and we are um, also applying for a new grant. Um, and we are hoping that we will get um, another. And that's that is uh, because the need is so great in Oklahoma. Um, what, that's a SAMHSA grant? Yes, So, it so is. Yeah, just cold call SAMHSA, everybody well, who's listening, yeah, and yeah. tell them to. But the, the U.S. Um, 
the, the State Department of Education uh, works together with um, the State Department of Mental Health, and, and yet um, we help fund the people in the schools um, and help place them and have a network of support that benefits all school districts. Um, but the primary focus there is in those schools in Western Oklahoma to begin with. And then um, now we have in the East and it's pretty exciting. Well, that's awesome. Right. I don't know if you know this, I do know how to write. So if you would like a letter uh, yeah. in my <laughs> private capacity as a mental health first aid instructor, we will take this, all I will the, all the follow help. up with me, Phil. I'll, I'll put pen <laughs> to paper. Before we end, I just want to ask, what is your favorite Lady Gaga song and favorite Gaga outfit? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, outfit? <laughs> yeah. Mm. I so I guess the one that I it's not my favorite, uh -huh. but I can't forget the meat the meat dress. <laughs> <laughs> and so in the in in you know as we commemorated meat all week, no. um, meat week. I, I I have to think about that one. But I anyway. did not think that meat week was going to cut. She should get a song. She should write a song called Meat Week for Meat Week Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah. No, I I just I she's incredibly talented and someone who is a just an incredible entertainer and uh, performer, but but um, she's and that's the bus that you want to be like. on. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes why sense. not? It makes sense. Awesome. Well, listen, State Superintendent, thank you so much for being here. Thanks. Uh, Great to be with if, Andrea, Angela, thank with you, you as wonderful. well. Wonderful. We hope you'll share the podcast. If you're listening, rate, review, subscribe, like, uh, gripe in the comments as you're. Constitution. Right after you is, give us five stars. Uh, yeah, and we will see you next time on Live from the News Dungeon. Bye. Live from the News Dungeon is a nondoc.com production, edited and recorded by Bryce Holland.